We're in a series called um, Giant Slayers, and uh, if you've not been with us the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of really amazing giant slayers that you can read about in Scripture. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we learned about a guy by the name of Elisha, and uh, what we learned from Elisha is that um, those who are with us, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. We learned that God is in the, the business of partnering with us to help overcome these obstacles in our lives. It was a great um, uh, way to look at perspective, that sometimes the problems in our, in our life can look so big and overwhelming, but if we kind of step back and look at God, He is so much bigger. And uh, just kind of realigning our perspective and realizing that God is so much bigger than the problems we face. And then last week, uh, Andy was here and he spoke about Gideon. And we learned all about the fact that sometimes the, the biggest giants that we face in our lives is, is ourselves. It's doubt, doubt in ourselves. We looked at the life of Gideon, that uh, he was called to a mighty task. And uh, he, he had a hard time believing that he was the guy that could do it. But I thought, you know, today, um, as we continue to look at these giant slayers, we couldn't keep looking at guys, okay? I thought this morning, we need to look at a lady, okay? We need to represent you ladies out there this morning, yeah, woo! And uh, show that uh, you, you ladies, you can be giant slayers too. So this morning, we're going to look at a lady by the name of Esther, okay? And the reason I want to establish kind of this, this, this idea that we need to look at a lady too is because, let's be honest, that in history, we have some great examples of some ladies who were giant slayers, some ladies who set great examples of, of overcoming obstacles and, and working hard at things. One example I thought of was uh, Rosa Parks, okay? So you know Rosa Parks. She was the lady who, um, during a time of segregation, she, she took a stand. In fact, she didn't take a stand. She sat. She sat somewhere that she shouldn't have sat and uh, probably at the time didn't realize just what a key event this would be. But in doing that was a huge part of the civil rights movement. And this lady, this giant slayer, she she took a step and did what she felt was right. There's another lady that's a hero of mine, and you'll see why in a second. I'm a little bit biased here, and that is Queen Elizabeth II. I think she is awesome, okay? I know you guys don't fully understand the whole monarchy thing, and let's be honest, this week you had a big celebration as to why we don't like the monarchy thing, all right? So I get that, I get that, all right? But, but this lady is pretty cool, okay? She is, um, she's our queen. She's the longest reigning monarch ever. Um, she's very respected in England. Uh, she still meets regularly with our prime minister, who is kind of the leader of the country, and she has done so uh, for the last 13 prime ministers. 13 different prime ministers have come and gone, and they meet with her on a regular basis, and she gets to kind of speak about uh, the leadership of the country and what's going on. She's met with 12 out of the last 13 U.S. presidents. I think that's incredible. She's, she's met with some of the most important people around the world, and, and she's respected by so many. Another great example of um, females is um, the Avengers women. I mean, let's be honest, they saved the universe, okay? They were part of the group of women who helped save the universe. So uh, giant slayers, every one of them. Half of us wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. So they'll always be remembered in history. But I think that's all the examples we've got, right? There's no other. Oh, come on. All right, I don't know why she's up there, but... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, for those who don't know, that's Alex Morgan. She happens to play uh, a game called soccer, uh, a, so- a sport that us Brits are very passionate about. And she was the girl this week who scored the second goal, knocking England out of the World Cup, celebrated by a little cup of tea there. I know other people thought it was something else, but she's drinking a cup of tea, which I think... <laughs> it, it is... Which was, I don't know what that is. I just know that someone said that that's what it is. Um, drinking a cup of tea, having a little uh, knock of the English. And I'm going to be honest with you here this morning. Great job, America. They, that was a great win. They're actually playing right now in the final. I'm watching it here on my iPad. Um, it's nil-nil. Um, and, you know, she got some, some, some stick online. People were like, oh, that's so disrespectful. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought, yeah, good job. And, and of all the weeks to poke fun at the English, beating us at our favorite game, drinking a cup of tea, it's the week that you guys celebrate independence from us. So I've got to have a pretty soft skin, all right? I know, I know, I know. It's a great week. I watched the fireworks. And, and I'm... I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm generally excited for you. It's just so good to know that you've escaped the chains of Britain and its unfair taxation system. And now you live freely in Illinois, where taxes aren't an issue at all. So so I'm glad you got away from that whole thing. Figured that out, so... Things are going great for you. So, um... So let's try and get back to Esther here. Okay, who, who is this lady? Esther, let's, let's talk about her a bit. Um, you see, Esther is amazing. And if you've not heard her story before, you're going to love this morning because it's an incredible story about a giant slain woman who changed history. Her story can actually be found in the Old Testament in a book of her own name, the book of Esther. And you can read it. It's 10 chapters long, and it reads like an action-packed movie. It's just full of excitement and twists and plot twists and heroes and villains. And it really is a great book to read. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm not going to have time this morning to go through every detail of it. So your homework this week is to read the book of Esther. You will not be disappointed. It's a great story about a great lady that had a huge impact in the the nation of Israel. You can read it. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can download the Bible app on your phone. If you've never downloaded the Bible app or if you've never looked, there's actually even an audio option. So you can like just set it up in your car, press the button. You can even listen to it. You can listen to the book of Esther this week. And it's like listening to an exciting book because it's all excitement as things go through that book. So I'm going to kind of sum it up a little bit here this morning. But this lady's impact on history was so significant that out of what happened in her life, a Jewish holiday came out called Purim. And thousands of years later, Jewish people still celebrate this holiday today. Jewish people still celebrate the festival of Purim to remind them of this great victory that Esther had thousands of years ago. So what exactly happened? Well... As I said, I can't go through the whole book, but I'll give you a little bit of a summary to get us to the point I want to really focus in on today, because we do this a lot of Connect. It's great to read about um, amazing people in the Bible and what God did in them and through them, but but I always like to get to the point at the end of it and say, well, well, how does that affect us today? What, What can I learn from that? How can I live differently as a result of what I've learned from the life of Esther? 
So we start, and uh, there's actually a queen before Esther. Her name was Vashti, and uh, Queen Vashti is married to a king back then whose name was Xerxes. King Xerxes was the king of Persia and Mede, and this was a huge empire. It was 127 provinces that stretched from India to Ethiopia. And at the very beginning of Esther, he, we read that the king's throwing this huge party, and he's invited all of his friends and the important people in the kingdom, and they've all come to this party And then we discover something that takes place on day seven of the party. And if you've ever thrown a party, you know that things don't really start getting excited until about day six. So so we're at day seven now of the party, all right? And things are really starting to get excited. And and the king decides, I want to bring out my queen. I'm married to this beautiful woman, and I want to bring her out, and I want to show her off to all my friends and all these important people. So he summons the queen. He said, bring out Queen Vashti. And if you read the book of Esther, you'll see that in Esther chapter 1, the queen hears that she's been summoned and she sends a message back to the king. and says, I don't want to come. I'm I'm just fine where I'm at. Well, you just don't say that to the king. This this was shocking that that was her response. She decides, I I don't want to be paraded around like some kind of trophy wife. So the king, he gets angry and he pulls his council together. He says, what should I do? Esther chapter 1, verse 15, it says, What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders? Now, I'll be honest with you here this morning. I'm not sure that this council was the most objective group of people to ask. Okay, he's pulled all these guys in together. He's like, guys, I summoned my wife. She didn't come. What should I do? Because listen to their response. They say, before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Medes will hear what the queen did, and they'll start treating their husbands the same way. There'll be no end to their contempt and anger. So these guys are like, well, we got some good advice, and and you better follow it, because if you don't, it's going to be miserable for us as well, because all these women are going to think they can do whatever they want, which apparently in this culture wasn't the case at that time. I know. (laughs) So they're like, if people start hearing that the queen can behave like this, it's gonna, my life's going to be miserable. So let's do something about this. So they suggest to the king that he gets rid of the queen. Verse 19, if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and the Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order the queen Vashti be forever ever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. So that's what he does. He's like, I like that idea. Vashti, you're out. She's gone. And a new search begins. Who will be the bride? Who will be the queen of one of the most powerful kings in all the world at that time? So one by one, these these women step forward. Many of them start to to enter into this this campaign to become the new queen. One of the girls who tries out is a Jewish girl, a young girl by the name of Esther. Now she keeps quiet the fact that she's a Jew, but she is a very strong Jew. She's been raised um, by her cousin, a man by the name of Mordecai, who is a very um, strong man of the Jewish faith. He loved God, and he was proud of his Jewish upbringing. 
Esther's parents had died, so her cousin Mordecai was the one who raised her and instilled all these values of her people and where she'd come from. Mordecai, we're going to find out as we continue on, is also a key player in this story. So Esther's one of the many women that enter into this um, competition, I guess you could say, to become the queen. And it turns out that Esther is the one that gets the final rose. Esther is the one that the king picks. It's a thousand-year-old bachelor, bachelorette, whatever. I could tell which one's which. A rose is given. Now, meanwhile, after being selected as queen, there's another character in this story, and his name is Haman. Haman's the villain, okay? Haman despises Jews. He's a a key figure in the king's court. He's a very powerful man. And one of the reasons he dislikes Jews so much is because of Mordecai. You see, Haman is obviously the wrong person to put in a position of power because Haman loves it when he's out and about and all the people in the kingdom bow down to him. He loves being this powerful man that people bow down to when he's out and about. But you know who doesn't bow down when Haman comes by? Mordecai. Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman because being a devout Jew, being somebody who worships God, he knows that there is only one person who he can bow down to, and that's God himself. He'll never bow down to a man. He can only bow down to God. So Haman sees this. Haman sees that Mordecai refuses to bow down. And because Haman loves the power and loves the the adulation that he gets, he despises Mordecai. In fact, as a result, he despises all Jewish people living in the kingdom at that time. So Haman concocts a plan. He decides, you know what? I can fix this Mordecai problem. He goes to the king and he says, Your majesty, there's this group of people, the Jewish people that are living among us, and they're not good people. They're disrespectful. They don't respect you. They don't bow down to you. How about we put an order in place that on this day, anyone in your kingdom can attack and kill the Jews and take all of their property and not be punished for it? Just for one day. The king says, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So they set this day in the future that every Jewish person in every surrounding province and in the city itself can be attacked and killed and have all of their possessions taken And there'd be no consequences for it. When Mordecai hears about this, he is heartbroken. In fact, as you read in Esther, he resigns himself to living in sackcloths and ashes by the city gate, just mourning this persecution that is coming upon them. One of Esther's servants says, Esther, we saw your cousin Mordecai. He was at the gates of the city and he's in mourning. We don't know why. He's in sackcloth and ashes. She says, send a message to Mordecai and find out why. They send the messenger, and the messenger comes back, and Mordecai has explained to this messenger the fate of the Jewish people. And Esther gets to hear now what is about to happen to to not just the Jewish people, to her people, to the people that she was raised, to, to know that she was a part of, her community. She thinks, what can I do? What can I do to do something about this? I wonder if I should do something about it. Because at this point, Esther is faced with what looks like a giant. 
It's the massacre of her people, and she has no idea what can be done. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, why has she got no idea? She's the queen. Surely she can do something about it. I mean, she's married to the king who put the order in place in the first place. Just, just reverse the order. Tell the king to change his mind. Explain what's going on. But it wasn't that simple. You see, as I explained earlier, the relationship between the king and the queen wasn't like you'd imagine a regular husband and wife. So she actually sends a message back to Mordecai explaining that she's powerless to help. Verse 11, it says, All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court, even his own wife, without being invited, is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Esther sends this message back to Mordecai. She's like, my heart is broken hearing about the fate of the Jewish people, but there's nothing I can do. You know the position I'm in. I I can't just approach the king. It could cost me my life. I've not been in his presence for 30 days. It might be another 30 days before I even get to talk to him. There's nothing I can do. And Mordecai responds. Mordecai being the man of faith, the man of God that he is. He believes that God is in this situation. He believes that God is still the giant slaying God, that he can defeat the giants and the enemies in our lives. So he sends this message back to Esther. In verse 13, it says, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to just pause here for a second at what Mordecai said because his relationship with God, his faith in God, it inspires me in this moment. I pray that I could have the same kind of faith in God in my circumstances that Mordecai has. He says, doesn't he, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. He's saying, hey, it's up to you. You can do whatever you want. You can do something or you can stay silent. But I tell you this, God will deliver us. That's Mordecai's faith. He's saying, somehow relief and deliverance will come to pass. I believe that God loves his people. I believe that God is a giant slain God. I've heard stories of people like Gideon and Elisha, and I know that God can do great things. And I believe that relief and deliverance will come, even if you do nothing. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, but who knows? Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Maybe, he's saying, maybe God has got you, Esther the Jew, in this place of importance, in this place of significance for a reason. Maybe part of God's plan to rescue us, the Jewish people, is to use you and your position of power and authority Next to the king. Maybe you've been called for such a time as this. Maybe, Esther, now is your moment. 
So he challenges his niece. He says, hey, I think God's going to deliver us no matter what. But why not you be the one to partner with him in this victory? I believe my God is not going to let us go um, and, and be destroyed like this. I believe he's going to protect us. But why not you be the one that plays the key role in making that happen? And I think Esther realized that even though this was a giant that she was facing, even though it may end up costing her life, she realized that maybe she was in that position because God's plan was to use her to rescue the people of Israel. I think Mordecai's words inspired her because listen to what she says in verse 16. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, even though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I die, if I must die, I must die. Wow, what an amazing lady. She says, I will do what I think I should do. And if I die, I die. I'd love to tell you this morning, especially if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that he's kind of leading you to step into a direction or maybe he's kind of guiding your life and you sense he's kind of pushing you in a certain direction. I'd love to tell you this morning that that when you know it's God, when you know he's with you, man, stepping out will feel so easy and, and everything will fall into place and it'll just all happen so easily. But I don't think that happens. I don't think that always taking that step is easy. It could be a career change, a move to a new home. Maybe it's a a group you want to start up or something you want to do in your neighborhood or your community and and you feel like God's kind of tugging at your heart a little bit and this is something that you feel like you've got a gift in and you, you get really excited when you think about this opportunity of doing this. And if you could just get some confirmation from God that he was in this, it'll be so much easier to take that first step. But I think you might just still find yourself in that spot like Esther. I'll I'll do what I think is the right thing to do. And if I must die, I must die. As I look back on my life as a follower of Jesus, especially over the last six years since we've started Connect and as Connect has grown here in this community, I think of the many steps that we've taken as a church. And if I sit and I think about it, I can go straight to those points on that journey where I remember thinking and praying and and taking some pretty big steps of faith where I felt God was leading us as a church in this community. It was exciting seeing these opportunities present themselves. It was exciting, sensing that maybe God has got Casey and I here for such a time as this and feeling that same kind of sense of destiny that Esther felt. But it doesn't mean that when we took those big steps, it was easy. Some of those times when I took those steps, I thought, well, if I must die, I must die. I didn't actually think that. That's a little bit too dramatic. I knew my life was never at stake. But I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is a big step that we've got to take, or this is a great opportunity for the church. But man, it's still scary because I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I believe God has got me here and got us here as a church for such a time as this, but, but this is still a very scary step. This is a giant that we're facing. So here's a cool story. I, um, 
I knew that today as part of my message, actually, no, that's not true. I knew that today I wanted to share some updates on um, where we're at with the new building and the timeline and that kind of thing. So I'd actually planned on speaking for a shorter amount of time today. I was going to prepare a shorter message, and then either before my message or at the end of my message, I was going to kind of switch modes a little bit and say, hey, and now I've got some announcements for you about the timeline with the building. And then as I started to work on my message, I was like, wow, what I need to share fits perfectly in this spot. Because a lot of what I'm going to share comes out of that, that moment where, where, like Esther, we as a church, over the last few years, stepped out, faced some, some giants that seemed very big. But we believe that God was with us for such a time as this. And now, in hindsight, looking back, we can see evidence of how God has been with us. So as many of you know, a couple of years ago, we were presented with the opportunity to buy this building. It was the old tractor supply building here in town. Uh, We'd always had this dream as a church. We love being portable. We love our relationship with the middle school. We've been able to, to run really lean over the first few years because, you know, being in rented space, you can, you can do a lot more. You can spread your, your finances a lot further. But we knew that there would come a time where we would put roots down in the community and we would say, okay, Connect Church is here to stay. We have a building that is ours. We, we are here. God's put us in this community. So when this building became available, we were super excited. Until we sat down and looked at how much it was going to cost to buy and then renovate this space. And everyone else was still super excited. But I'm the guy looking at these numbers that kept going along the sheet and thinking, that's a lot of numbers. That scares me. These were big numbers for this brand new pastor, but I felt like God had brought us here for such a time as this. I felt like this opportunity and this location and where it is in the heart of Washington was was such a great opportunity that God was presenting, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. So a little over a year ago, we, we started a series here at Washington called Together for Washington. If you were here, we talked about um, a lot in this series, but one of the big things we talked about was this new building that God had um, um, presented to us. We talked about the price it was going to be and how this was going to stretch us. And and one of the only ways we could afford to buy and renovate this space would be if people at Connect would be willing to give over and above what they normally give. This was a huge giant for me to, to be sharing these messages, knowing that, God, I can't figure out how this is going to work. I can't do the math on paper. I can't figure this out. But, God, I know you are bigger than anything I can figure out myself. So, God, just show yourself through this. It was May the 7th last year. It was our Commitment Sunday, and I was just blown away when the the pledge cards started coming in from folks here at Connect who said, over the next three years, we want to give over and above. We want to help reach that goal of reaching Washington together, of helping to finance this building. And you guys pledged just a little over a million dollars for this campaign, which was incredible. Yeah, give yourselves a little round of applause. Because again, that's a huge number. (laughs) Well, this is so cool because this morning I'd planned on speaking about the next steps in our new building. And I just happened to notice that just, just literally this week, we hit a milestone. We hit an amazing milestone. So, so bear in mind that this pledge that you gave, this was 14 months ago. Okay, It was a three-year campaign. That's 36 months. So a little over one year into the campaign, do you want to know how much has been given so far? This is money that's come in. This isn't just pledge money. This is actually money in the bank because of you. Check this out. $500,615.
That's like halfway. That's over half the amount has come in, in less than half the time. This is just incredible. And it's so exciting to watch God provide when you step out, like, like Esther in the story, when you believe that we've been put here for such a time as this, and God says, I'm going to help you, I'm going to provide. And he has for us. And because of that, we've been able to start work. And you, you all know the story. There's a lot of stories about the building and Uftering's renting it and now us renovating it. But we're getting to the end of that chapter of the story. And we're coming to the end of an era here at Washington Middle School. For the last over five years, this has been our home. And next Sunday will be our very last Sunday here at Washington Middle School. I know. We were talking about it in Setup Day. It's actually kind of sad. It's crazy. I'm talking to guys who come here at seven every week and set up all these chairs. And we're like, it's kind of sad. I'm like, no, it's not. We haven't got to do this anymore. <laughs> it's kind of great. <laughs> but the truth is, this, this home will always have so many memories for us. And there's going to be chairs that need setting up in the new building. You'll be excited to hear. So we'll have lots of opportunities to, to set up and tear down and do all sorts of work at the new building. But today is our last Sunday because we are coming very close to our new home being ready. And if you haven't driven by it recently, the seas are on the front now. So it's getting really real. Uh, this is a picture of our brand new building. So I want to kind of share this morning just uh, very practically some, some timeline things here. And we'll promote this as well via email and website because I know that not everyone is here this morning. Uh, but for those of you who are here, you'll get to kind of start circling your calendars for, for important dates that are coming up. So... Bear with me because I'll explain some things here, okay? So our grand opening in the new building, we're going to have some flyers that we'll send out in the mail, we'll do some promotion because our grand opening in the brand new building will be September the 8th. Now here's why we chose September the 8th, okay? That's our six-year anniversary. That's six years to the day. It's a Sunday, so six years. September 8th, uh, 2013 is when we started, September 8th, 2019, will be the first day in the new building. So we are super excited that that will be our grand opening. Now, some of you already figured this out. You're doing the math in your head. You're like, well, hang on, Dave. If next week's our last week of the middle school, what do we do in between? Well, there's a lot of good churches here in Washington. So if you... <laughs> I'm kidding. There are some great churches here in Washington, but we've got another plan. Um, our first Sunday service in the new building will be July 28th. So July 28th will be our very first service in the new building. So next Sunday's our last week here. Sunday the 28th is our first Sunday in the new building. So that leaves a gap in the middle of July 21st. So a couple of things have happened. We're, um, we're, we're really kind of getting close to being ready, but it's, it's definitely going to be a push to still be completely ready by the 28th. So we're going to use that 21st as a, as a weekend to make sure that we still got everything. The construction should be finished by this week, but then once the construction's finished, there's a lot of technology has to be plugged in and set up and tested and run in and furniture put in. So, so what we thought we'd do is on July the 21st, on that Sunday morning, and we'll give more information about this next week, um, you're invited to come to the building. We may um, sing a song or two, we may say a prayer, but the whole purpose of the morning will be to just kind of an all hands on deck, anyone that wants to be there to help assemble furniture, move things into rooms, get things ready. So we'll give more information about that next week, but our first regular service will be July 28th. And here's what we're thinking. So from July 28th to September 8th, that's what we're going to call our soft launch. Maybe you've heard about this before with restaurants, businesses, things like that. So July 28th through September 8th, that gives us time to, to kind of get used to everything that's new. 
Now, obviously, if people want to come, we're not going to tell them they can't come. Anyone can come, but we're making the big promoting grand opening September the 8th. Because we know that we're going to have to get used to some things. There'll be some mornings where we'll be in the auditorium and we haven't figured out all the switches on the um, video displays yet. And you're watching Jim Matson on the screen and it should be me. And someone's pressed the wrong button somewhere. And, you know, so, so we realize there'll be some, some tweaking that needs to be done in those first few weeks. And so that's kind of the goal between July 28th and September 8th. And then September 8th will be our grand. I mean, by then we'll have figured it all out and we'll be ready to go. We are so excited Not because the building is what it's all about. Jesus is what it's all about. And sharing Jesus with our community and sharing Jesus with people who have yet to meet him and discover that he loves them so much and he wants a relationship with them. And when we're here looking at what's happening, it can get very easy to get caught up in the the building. But this is just a tool. This is just something that will help us pursue our vision even more of connecting our community to Christ reaching people in Washington and the surrounding areas, being a resource that impacts the world for Jesus. So we are super excited. One last announcement, and that is that on July 28th, service times are changing, okay? So the new service times will be 9 and 10.30. They're currently 9.30 and 11. We're going to move them until 9 and 10.30. A couple of reasons behind that. Number one is it was very hard to have a service time at 9 here when we were setting up because it takes a certain amount of time to get everything set up, to get the band ready. But now that we've got everything set up, they can just come in and plug in and they're ready to go. So we can start earlier. Uh, The other reason is... We've grown in size since we started this project. So from the time we sat down with the architects to lay out the building, uh, we've already grown as a church. And I think we may grow even more when we get into the new building. So our goal is to try and help both services, both the first service and the second service, grow as much as possible. So you have the choice. You can come to the 9 o'clock or you can come to the 10.30. It's totally up to you. But we're hoping that both of them will kind of grow equally because it won't be long before we're, we're filling that space. And it's an exciting thing. So uh, I think, let me check my notes here because I had to write all this stuff down to make sure I didn't forget. Yeah, so the last thing I have written down here is join us next Sunday for what will be uh, an emotional end of a chapter. Uh, we've got a special service planned. We're going to have some, uh, a lot of anecdotes and uh, stories of what God has done in this building over the last six years. It's going to be a great time. And then if you're uh, um, not connected with us through Facebook, Instagram, if you're on our email list, all those will be uh, means that we'll use to keep sending out information here over the next few weeks of what's going to happen. But let me wrap up here this morning with Esther. Because what happened? Did she survive? Did she slay the giants? Well, you're going to have to read the book to find out. But I'll give you a clue. The people of Israel still celebrate Purim thousands of years later. I don't think they would celebrate if it was a bad ending, okay? So there's a good ending coming, but I'll let you read about how that good ending came to be. But I'm going to be honest with you this morning. For me, when I read about the life of Esther, this great, incredible, giant-slaying woman, I love how the story ends, but I love that point in the middle, I love that point in the middle when she's confronted with that opportunity. Shall I, shall I do something that, that may cost me dearly? It may cost my life, but I feel like it's the right thing to do. Or shall I pass? And she steps up because she believes she's been called for such a time as this. Where are you right now? And more importantly, why has God got you where you are right now? Maybe you're here this morning and um, you're still checking things out. 
You're not sure if you believe this, this whole Jesus thing. I don't know what circumstance brought you here. It could have been a friend or a situation. And you find yourself here on a Sunday morning listening to this, wondering if this is something that applies in your life. And I want to tell you, maybe God has got you here for such a time as this. Maybe this is all part of God's plan to bring you here so that you could discover just how much he loves you, how much he wants to be a part of your life. Not just for an hour on a Sunday morning, but he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He's pursuing you this morning. But maybe you're here this morning, you've already made that decision to follow Jesus. So where does he have you right now and why? Esther's decision to do something, it saved thousands of lives. It changed history. And I want you to understand this morning that being a follower of Jesus... It isn't just to secure a spot in heaven when you die. Okay, some of us think, okay, as a follower of Jesus, that's, that's the goal, that's the outcome. There's so much God wants to do in and through you in the meantime. God has an incredible plan for your life. God has an incredible plan for the world in which we live. I believe God has an amazing plan for Washington, Illinois. And I think if Mordecai were here this morning, he would say, hey, Dave, God's going to do some great things here in Washington, with or without you. But maybe you're here for such a time as this. Maybe Connect Church is here for such a time as this. Maybe you folks this morning as a part of Connect Church, he's got you. So, so wouldn't it be awesome to partner with God in the great plan he has to restore his kingdom, to bring his creation back to its true glory, to, to reach the people who are hurting, to rescue people, to make a difference, to impact the world in which we live. It's not about where we go when we die. It's about what we do right now in the meantime. And what a great example we have in Esther, who took that step and because of her, changed the world for her people. I think God wants to change our world through us. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much this morning. We are so excited at the opportunities that uh, you are putting before us. And God, what, what a fitting giant slayer to talk about as we close out our time here at Washington Middle School. Because the heart of Esther's story was that realization that she was in the place that she was in for such a time as this. And God, we find ourselves here in Washington, Illinois in 2019 for such a time as this. So God, show us. Show us how we can partner with you. Show us the destiny that you have for our lives. Show us the purpose you have for our lives, how we can be used by you. We want people to discover Jesus in us, through us. So show us, Lord, how we can step into that purpose and destiny for you. In Jesus' name, amen.